And thus, week 31 of year 2021 begins, making it August 2nd, 2021. I'm Sean Tubbs, and welcome to another installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a regular look at and listen to of things happening in and around the area. That's my preposition to you. Thanks for listening, even if it's not precisely on the same day as delivery. On today's program, an update on COVID numbers in Virginia and masking policies in area schools. The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors takes a look at the housing market, and the Charlottesville City Council considers next year's budget and approves additional funding for additional study on affordable housing. In today's first Patreon-fueled shout-out, that's for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them that Lonnie Murray sent you along. Over the weekend, Virginia added another 3,555 cases of COVID-19, and the seven-day daily average is now 1,108 cases a day, and the percent positivity is 6%. The average number of vaccinations a day has increased to an average of 12,414 a day, up from 11,438 a week ago. The percentage of Virginians totally vaccinated has increased to 54.1%. If you have questions about what's happening, you'll have the chance to ask health officials questions at a town hall that the Blue Ridge Health District will hold on Thursday at 1 p.m. You can also ask in advance by sending them a message by Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. There's a link in the newsletter. Panelists will include Dr. Denise Bonds of the Blue Ridge Health District and pediatricians Dr. Paige Perriello and Dr. Jeffrey Vergales. You can register on Zoom. When Nelson County opens its public schools later this summer, masks will be required for all students, staff, and visitors. That message was included in a letter the school system sent to parents that included a survey about preferences going forward. That also includes students on school buses. Albemarle County will also require masks indoors when school begins on August 23rd. In a news release, Rosalind Schmidt, the division's chief operating officer, said that since the pandemic began in March of 2020, the school system has had nearly 200 confirmed cases of COVID among staff, site, and on-site contractors. But yet they don't believe it was suspected that transmission of the virus occurred anywhere on school property. Families in Albemarle can still continue to request a virtual option, and the school division even now has a principal devoted to virtual education. Some changes have been made. Temperature checks will not be required to enter buildings, and school buses will operate at full capacity due to installation of air purifying filters. Meanwhile, in Amherst County to the south, their school board voted on Thursday to make mask wearing optional. The town administrator of Scottsville declared a state of emergency on Friday, retroactive to late Wednesday night, when a powerful thunderstorm raged through the town. Here's part of that declaration from Matt Lawless. There was significant heavy rain which flooded several buildings. Large hail damaged vehicles, buildings, and crops. 
High winds damaged buildings and were especially damaging to trees and utility poles. The declaration was made after the fact because Scottsville was without power for most of the day Thursday and parts of Friday. The declaration of emergency allows the town to participate in the regional emergency operations plan, potentially to receive aid, reimbursement, and assistance. Lawless said the damage to town government is about $5,000, and details on other damages are still coming in. The Scottsville Library remains closed today due to damage, though curbside service is available. Scottsville Town Council will need to ratify the declaration at their meeting on August 16th. An Albemarle County company is among eight Virginia firms that have recently graduated from a statewide economic development program intended to boost their international exports. Greenberry's Franchising Corporation is a growing suite of coffee retailers that went through the Virginia Leaders in Export Trade Program, or Valet. That's put on by the Virginia Economic Development Partnership. Governor Northam, in a release, said that the success of Virginia businesses, both at home and abroad, is key to maintaining strong, resilient state and local economies. The valet program equips growth-minded companies with the resources they need to stay competitive in today's global marketplace and expand trade opportunities in a post-pandemic world. Two other companies that completed the program in the area are AccuTech Blades of Augusta County and Paul's Fan Company of Buchanan County. The Charlottesville Area Association of Realtors has reviewed sales transactions from the second quarter of this year and found that home prices are up, as is the volume of transactions. According to the report, there were 1,533 homes sold in their coverage area from April through June. That's a 30% increase over the same period in 2020. Median sales prices were 13% over last year to $376,000. That's up from $295,500 in the same period four years ago. Carr also reports the number of listings were down by 48%. In addition to Charlottesville, Carr covers Fluvanna, Green, Louisa, and Nelson counties. Sales in Nelson County were up 85% over 2020. You can get the report from the CAR website at CAR.com. That's with two A's. You're reading Charlottesville Community Engagement, and it's time now for another reader-supported announcement. The nonprofit group Resilient Virginia works to inform decision-makers and officials about how to prepare for a changing world. They're holding their annual event virtually this year, and registration prices go up at the end of this week. The Resilient Recovery Conference will take place the mornings of August 25th, August 26th, and August 27th. Take a look at the details of the event, as well as pricing, at resilientvirginia.org. And time for our long segment today. Tonight, Charlottesville City Council meets at 6.30 p.m., and the rest of the show looks back at recent conversations, including a work session last week. Council held the second reading of an appropriation of $165,000 to conduct a review of the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund and to further define how the upcoming rewrite of the city's zoning ordinance will be inclusionary in order to carry out the goals of the affordable housing plan adopted by Council in March. The additional funding will go to broaden the scope of the overall Seville Plans Together initiative. 
Councillor Lloyd Snook said he supported the effort but sought clarity about what the deliverable product would be for the additional review. But I would hope that before things get too far along, somebody in uh, city government, whether it's in the city manager's office, whether it's NDS, I'm not sure who, would sit down with uh, Roadside Hardwell and figure out what specifically we're going to get in the way of of an evaluation of these incentives. To continue the story, let's go back to the July 21st meeting of the city's Housing Advisory Committee. That's an appointed group that consists of representatives from a wide spectrum of stakeholders. A new member who joined the group last week is also running for city council. Thank you. Juan Diego Way with the City of Charlottesville School Board. Two other people new to the hack and new to Charlottesville city government are two new top deputies to city manager Chip Boyles. Ashley Marshall has been deputy city manager for racial equity, diversity, and inclusion since May, and Sam Sanders has been deputy city manager for operations for a little over two weeks. Sanders will oversee the Department of Neighborhood Development Services and will play a lead role in overseeing the rest of the Seville Plans Together initiative. More specifically, Sanders will help implement the affordable housing plan adopted by council last March. One of the three main points of the plan is to adopt progressive and inclusionary zoning reforms. The HACS discussion at their July 21st meeting covered how to implement that affordable housing plan. Phil Duranzio is the body's chair. Now that we have an agreed upon in principle affordable housing plan, now what do we do? Deputy City Manager Sanders had the opportunity to go first. Number one priority that I was given the day I walked in, and honestly, I'll tell you, maybe 45 days before I arrived, number one priority was filling the NDS position. Sanders said a candidate had been selected, so we could hear soon who that might be. The theme that this new person will be charged with implementing is reimagining NDS. Another key vacancy is the housing coordinator position, who will be charged with tracking the metrics by which the affordable housing plan will be measured. Well, I guess the key thing we have to point out is, uh, as it relates to the affordable housing plan, we don't have the money yet. So there's that $10 million allocation that we are all excited about being able to say that we're going to receive it every year. It has not yet been uh, realized. Uh, so it's going to take that happening before the real implementation can begin. The housing coordinator position has been vacant for a year since John Sales left to become executive director of the Charlottesville Redevelopment and Housing Authority. Sanders said the city needs staff in the housing office in order to do the work. The plan itself calls for a culture change. Here's a line from page 70 of the plan. There is a culture in which city staff can be at odds with the development community and the advocacy community, which limits the effectiveness of housing and development policies. Sanders said the reason for the $165,000 is to pay consultant HR&A to go back to work on Charlottesville affordable housing policy. The scope for the adopted plan did not include a review of how the Charlottesville affordable housing fund has worked to date. That review has not been done in recent years. It needed to be done because it was one of my questions. I said, hey, give me a summary of what we've done. And the response was, uh, we can't. So now back to city council's meeting from July 28th. And a reminder, they were talking about whether to appropriate the $165,000. 
Here's Councillor Lloyd Snook again. I just want to make sure that it gets guided before we get a final product. Sanders explained to Council the two areas of work that the additional scope will cover. Here's the bit about the Charlottesville Affordable Housing Fund and the review of the past 10 years. Basically looking at who we gave money to, how much did we give it to, give, give to them, when did we give it to them, and what were the expectations. Um, and then there'll be the analysis of what were the deliverables that we were able to uh, track through whatever reporting, whether they did or not. Uh, in addition to looking at what our internal records are, they will be doing site visits. The second task is to flesh out the inclusionary zoning aspects of the upcoming rewrite of the zoning ordinance. The topic is currently covered on pages 94 through 96 in the housing plan adopted by council in March. Now the consultants will turn those ideas into specific code. But the goal of it was to have uh, the consultants help us design what an inclusionary zoning program could look like. Sanders said the program would be customized for Charlottesville to fit the city's needs and that council would have the final say. Council approved the $165,000 for that work and then moved on to a conversation about the strategic plan, as well as introductory work into the fiscal year 2023 budget development process. As of today, there are 333 days until July 1st, 2022, when that budget will begin. It may seem like a long way off, but there are some really big ticket items that the city is planning on financing in upcoming years. Here's city manager Chip Boyles. The financial items are um, are so large, and with that we'll be talking about the reconfiguration of the school and a couple of capital improvement plan projects that decisions do have to be made on in the very near future. Council put their strategic planning process on hold at the end of last year, shortly before Boyles was hired as city manager. Boyles said he needs some input about how to prepare the budget for next year, but there is not time this year for a full update of the plan. So he asked for an extension of the existing plan in the short term, while allowing for some amendments, such as elevating the role equity will play in the fiscal year 23 budget. There's strategic planning, and then there's logistical planning. In the current five-year capital improvement budget, council included a placeholder of $50 million to cover the cost of the first step of a reconfiguration of Charlottesville schools. Chrissy Hamill is a senior budget management analyst for the city of Charlottesville. Earlier this year, she told council repeatedly that doing so would be based on an assumption of increases in the city's property tax rate. One of the things that is kind of a continuing conversation that we started last year is the uh, school reconfiguration project and the need for the tax increase to cover the debt service that would be associated with that. Hamill said that level of funding anticipates an eventual 10 cent increase in the tax rate to cover the additional debt service. The capital improvement program is at its limit and the school system now wants $60 million for the first phase of reconfiguration. Hamill said the current capital program also assumes the city will proceed with the West Main Streetscape, a multi-phased project that requires city funds to match state and federal money that's already been awarded. West Main um, is still a decision point that will need to be discussed. If we're currently there is 18 and a quarter million dollars that are programmed in for bonds that have been authorized for that project, 
if we are now moving the um, school reconfiguration to 60 million, then 10 million of that would need to be reprogrammed um, from the West Main Street project and moved to the school project. Hamill also said that if the school reconfiguration project is moved up to fiscal year 2024, the 10 cent tax increase will have to happen all at once rather than be phased in over multiple years. Another source of funding for the future is a potential sales tax increase with proceeds dedicated to school improvements. Such a rise would require a referendum, something that has not yet been scheduled. There's a second phase planned in the future to upgrade Walker. In the meantime, Councillor Michael Payne said he would support reducing funds for the West Main streetscape. I just don't see any realistic way to be able to afford school reconfiguration and our other priorities unless we're um, cutting that. The only way I could maybe see it being possible is if there is some kind of infrastructure bill passed by Congress and there's some way we're able to take advantage of that. Boyle said staff will be meeting with VDOT to determine the last possible time when the city can indicate whether the first phase of West Main will be conducted. To recap, study for the streetscape got underway in September of 2013, with work overseen by the firm Roadside and Harwell. The project is divided into four geographical phases, three of which have received different levels of funding from VDOT. In June, the Commonwealth Transportation Board approved over $10 million for the third phase, a set of funding that requires no local match. The time is clicking on the very first funding that we received from SmartScale. Um, And while they initially have agreed to us being able to delay that so that we could combine the three phases all together so that they could occur under one contract, they're still limited as to how far they could push that out. That meeting with VDOT is scheduled for this Friday. Council ended up making no firm decisions at this work session, very similar to their conversation in February. I wrote a story about that and the discussion about West Main back in February. By the end of the July 28th meeting, Council asked for more information about how the sales tax referendum might be implemented. Here's City Councilor Heather Hill. Part of the beauty of this sales tax today actually is very deliberate in that it's for capital improvements for schools up to a certain number of years. Council will also have a strategic plan retreat sometime in September. And that's it for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement for Monday, August 2nd, 2021. This week, I am attempting to get a show out every single day. We'll see if I can do it. And uh, really, am hopeful because there is so much information to get to. And uh, I have spent the last week or so trying to figure out how to plan ahead. And uh, so we'll see if I make it till tomorrow. Of course, one way you can support that effort is, of course, to subscribe through Substack for $5 a month, $50 a year, or $200 a year, you can have that amount uh, matched by Ting. Speaking of matches on the West Main thing, uh, the hope there is that um, you, you can help support me continuing to get this work out and to do the research that goes behind it each and every day. Uh, this is something that I really do um, think benefits the community and I hopefully it benefits you. If it does and you cannot afford that at this moment, there's no problem with that whatsoever. 
about a quarter of the audience is making a financial contribution, which is fantastic. But for everybody else, one thing you can do is send this on to other people you think might be interested in either listening to or reading Charlottesville Community Engagement. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs, and I will be back tomorrow. In the meantime, please stay safe and, um, you know, pay attention. Pay attention.